Hi everyone, this is Inside Dance with Taylor and Alex. Featuring your hosts, Taylor Bradley and Alex Yankovic. Yeah, every day we're just out here. Five, six, seven, eight, and welcome back on the one to another amazing episode of Inside Dance with Taylor and Alex. Guys, we're so happy to be with you for a what could possibly be our greatest episode yet? I know we say that every week, but I'm telling you, this one is a winner. Later this episode, we are joined by the incredible dancer, choreographer, creative, uh, director, dance master, you name it. She's probably worn um, just about every hat in the industry. Um, and that is with Katie Tate. She works uh, most recently directly with Nappy Tabs and putting up these amazing productions with every every artist you could think of from Jennifer Lopez um, to some amazing new projects that she'll get into a little later in the episode. So definitely stick around for that because you won't want to miss it. But before we get there, let's make sure we're staying up to date with each other. Please make sure you're following us on social media. We are on Instagram at Inside Dance Podcast. And while you're there, go ahead and follow our sponsors, our friends, our partners over at Inside Dance Magazine. You can find them at Inside Dance Mag. And lastly, make sure you're staying up to date with us. We would love, love, love to hear from you. So if you have any topics that you'd like to be discussed on the podcast, if there's anyone that you're like, wait, they would be a great person to interview. Or if it's your birthday and you just want to give someone a shout out, please feel free to write us. You can email us at insidedancepodcast at gmail.com. And don't be shy because we really do want to hear from you. All right, it's time for our community spotlight. And this week we are bringing attention to the amazing organization, Global Citizen. Global Citizen is a movement of engaged citizens who are using their collective voice to end issues like extreme poverty, to defend the planet, and to demand equity. On their platform, Global Citizens learn about the systemic cause of these issues, how to take action towards defeating these issues, and even earn rewards for their actions, all as a part of a global community committed to lasting change. Their mission is to build a movement of 100 million action-taking Global Citizens to help achieve their vision of ending extreme poverty, defending the planet, and demanding equity by the year 2030. Most recently, you may have heard of Global Citizen from their vaccine initiative, Vax Live. This is a program that is designed to raise funds to allow for the suitable distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine worldwide. Global Citizen just recently put on a huge benefit concert towards this cause, featuring artists such as J Balvin, Foo Fighters, and of course, Jennifer Lopez. Stay tuned for our interview later this episode with Katie Tate to hear firsthand just about how that process was working with Jennifer and putting up such an incredible performance featuring 40 amazing dancers, all choreographed by Sienna Lalau. We will have this information and a link to this performance in our description below. To learn more about the wide array of issues Global Citizens covers, you can check out their website at globalcitizen.org. Here you can find out more information about taking action towards their initiatives, or even donate to the organization directly. Plus, sign up for their emails to stay up to date on the latest issues and how to take action. We will have all of this information, as well as the link to Jennifer's performance from Vax Live, listed in our description below. All right. Well, I know we have this amazing interview with Katie in store, Alex, but uh, before we get there, first, I want to... Um, I want to see how you're doing. And I also, I have a very interesting topic today, and that is music and how we as dancers interpret it. I know there's many sides to this uh, debate here. Some people are team counting. Some people are boom cack. Some people are lyrics. And I think they're all valid. Um, but I kind of want to mull over your thoughts on that as a teacher, a dancer, and a choreographer. I'm, I love counts. And like as a student, 
um, and a dancer. I'm obsessed with them. As a teacher, though, it doesn't um, come naturally to me. I would love to know if there are teachers out there who can just like listen to the song once and they get the counts. Like I have to actually study it like many times before I start teaching teaching the combo. Um, and I do love using words for certain moves just because uh, like I know a lot of times what I do do with um I'll use the words of whatever the step is so if it's um if we're doing even just progressions across the floor if we're going run run leap run run, I go run run leap run run leap (laughs) and I try to like accentuate the leaps that means you should be staying in the air that long (laughs) before you come down um I know in teaching methods we talked a lot about um, if you're using your technical words instead of counts, like you should elongate them and you should use your speech to find the dynamics because a beginner will be able to understand that really well. Um, but it's crazy you ask this and we talk about this now because sometimes when I'm teaching more like recreational students, like I remember I had that job in Tucson where I was an after school dance teacher, I had to teach them how to count. And that was my first time yeah. kind of doing that because like Normally in the kids, the levels that we teach, like they already got it down. So really trying to get people to understand eight count and how it works and then listen to, and then test yourself, listen to the music and see if you know if this is an eight or a six. Sixes get really hard for me. See, but I love it. For me, it's like a puzzle. It's like a game. Like when it's like really, I don't know, throw me a seven count, throw me a 14 and a half count. But no, you bring up a good point in that really it comes down to, it's communicating and it's a, it's a language that you're trying to express to your students or your, you know, whoever you're dancing with to understand the same material, right? So whether right. it's counts or whether it's music or whether it's um, sounds, it's how can you get on the same page to, um, to sync up your movement with the idea of either what you're trying to match it to, whether that be the music or something else. But um Something that I find interesting and I think that you were touching on is that um, there is so much more like 360, I feel like, mm-hmm. expression when it comes outside of counts. Like, I again, when it comes to cleaning a routine or like um, having that same communication of, of knowing we're going to do this on this count, that's great. But I feel like you can easily get stuck there as well. And there's yeah. so much in between the counts and so much... Um, room for exploration um in in just sounds right so yeah. um i feel like it's a uh, uh pros and cons like venn diagram like what you can gain in cleanliness and um you unison uh mm-hmm. you can also find more like just uh what, what am i trying to say here you see where i'm trying to go here yeah <laughs> the words no, are not coming out easily today i want to <laughs> i want to ask you so like for me i find that i'm usually uh i love to hold one and i love to move on two do you have any of those like uh nuances that you end up doing where you're like okay i'm gonna do a move on seven eight repeat it on one two i don't know like yeah i always no. love to like hold one patterns i always i've always liked to choreograph on the and counts like i've always like i was king of the ball change i feel like when i first started choreographing because like i feel like when you add that like and aspect to things it like brings excitement right ball change oh one you know like Uh if if you can like push the rhythm um so i'm a sucker for that um is but it's sorry no you finish your thought what i was gonna say (laughs) (laughs) 
but it's it's crazy how like there's certain musical patterns and accents that like will forever trigger songs in our head i think mm-hmm. i did a combo to tainted love uh recently yes. and like what are the accents one two four five six seven eight. One, one two, two. you know <laughs> so uh it's crazy how like even if you don't consider yourself like a counter or um or whatever it's it, you it, it's crazy how in touch with music we are and don't even realize it. Or no. one of my favorite games that we would always play, um, like our dance studio lock-ins is like, play one second of the song and guess what it is. And like, uh. <laughs> to this day, I will always, like, I can tell you exactly what song it is from the first, like, <laughs> half of a, of a beat. <laughs> yes, I love that. We're so attached to it. You know who really is a fantastic counter and accenter, if that's a thing, uh-huh. is Michael Michael Williams, who oh, I'm sure absolutely. we'll have on at some point. But for his warm-up, that little like the phrase that phrases he would teach, he's always using those and counts. And it's like you find so much dimension in the music that way. Cause I do get stuck in like, I just want to use one, two, three, four. And there's one and a two, a four, yeah. a six. An Indiana, like it's so crazy how we can. I feel like that's the closest thing we could be to like being an engineer. <laughs> no, nope. I am nowhere near that brain capacity, but it's still, it's very, I'm very grateful that we have that skill because um, we're able. I say this actually all the time when I teach about how dance is so cool because we create dimensions in music that yeah. we normally think are there, but we make them there. We hold, elongate something longer. And it makes that seem, it's just all an illusion. It's I'm like, yeah, I'm passionate about it when I'm talking about it with you. So yeah, no. Well, and who is it? Um, I think it was Jared Baker. I was talking with who's a good friend of ours from college. Um, And actually, no, I remember it was Jared Baker and Guy Amir were having this conversation (laughs) and I was somehow a part of it. But um, Jared, who is very, very count oriented competition, technical, and then Guy, who's very like, groove boom boom cack i they basically were like we're hearing the same thing like we're hearing the exact same thing it's just the understanding of how we're hearing it and how we're expressing that to one another and yeah i kind of geek out on like technical dancers versus non-technical dancers versus like tap dancers i mean you're your own breed of people because it's like you're you're the knowledge of rhythm and manipulating rhythms and then like volumes and pitches and sounds that is like their, their toolbox. Right. And right. then you throw on the actual like artistry of movement on top of that. But yeah, I geek out anyone that's out there. That's a tapper. Like, I mean, I can, <laughs> Alex and I both can tap, but like, yeah, you know, those like incredible, like the people that take tap and music and dance and performance to another level, props to you man because know, it's, it's like amazing. a it's like a full orchestra that is one human <laughs> oh and tap is so hard oh my gosh oh my god this one studio i just judged a couple weeks ago some of the best tapping i've ever seen in my entire life like they were like a tap studio oh my god it was actually mind-blowing <laughs> and they would um they would do the thing where it was half acapella half musical and when the acapella part started, it was like there was still music on. Their rhythms, their choreography, I mean, A, was so amazing, but their rhythms were gotta 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 or like they would continue the beat of the song. So like someone did Here Comes the Sun. So they're playing the song, tapping to it, and then the song 
goes out and they go da 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 like they Dude, were tapping that's so cool the, they were composing <laughs> the music and it was a delight and they had like 78 dances <laughs> and i was like i don't even care like you <laughs> were oh my gosh such good tappers that was really cool that was like i was like tr- pretending that i could do that too and i'm definitely yeah. <laughs> amazing no i love that yeah well so takeaway from uh from this week's discussion is counts amazing, beautiful, respectable, necessary, but also again, I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote you, Alex, you have to know the rules to break the rules. So find the counts, acknowledge what they are, explore in around them and then play with them. Also be like, forget counts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's so God, it balances everything. It balances everything. It's like good to be strict about it when you need to be. And then sometimes you don't, but just be knowledgeable and be present. Be aware of it. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Groovy. Well, let's, uh, let's count right on into ooh, cheesiest transition ever. I love it. <laughs> right on into our interview with Katie. Uh, guys, stick around. You won't want to miss it. Hi, everyone. We have the absolutely incredible Miss Katie Tate with us today. We are so excited to be speaking with her. and We can't wait to share with you all of the amazing things I'm sure she has to share with us. Um, and I know Katie Tate, actually, she was my dance master while I was working at the Beatles Love. And I met her when I was auditioning for Cirque in Salt Lake City, which was amazing. And I just was mesmerized by her and she has so much knowledge. So everybody, let's please welcome the incredible Katie Tate. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here with you guys today. Hi, Katie. It's so great to see your face. It's You look amazing. You sound amazing. Um, and Alex and I are just so, so grateful to finally have you on our podcast. You've been at the top of our list for quite some time now, so we can't thank you enough for taking the time to be here with us. And I know our listeners are going to absolutely eat up everything that you're going to say. So before we get started, though, on a personal level, how have you been? Um, all things considered, I mean, now we're opening up and getting back into dance mode, but how's this past year been for you? Yeah, it definitely feels like things are starting to get moving again, but I have to say it's really been a a blessing. And I I hate to say that in some ways, because I know it's been quite a challenge for some. And I realize my privilege to the situation. There's people that are trying to pay their mortgages and pay their utilities and have food on the table and uh, frontline workers, many people that have put their lives on the line during this time. But for myself, I know that I'm privileged and it's really allowed me the opportunity to kind of reprioritize and find some balance in my life that I'm hoping that once we enter back into the hustle of the industry, that I can kind of mix the two in a better way. So It's so important. I feel like we've all had that realization for sure. And like, I definitely have realized my privilege and a lot of times, you know, that is, that is really humbling. That's what kind of brings me down to earth. And anytime I do get anxious or like, Oh my gosh, I could be doing more. I'm like, wait, no, like things are exactly in the place that they need to be and take advantage of this time to be learning new things. So I love that. That makes me so happy. Yeah. I think the honing of new skills is what we can really take away Mm. from that downtime that we had and the, all the moments in the past where we're like, Oh, I wish I had time to do this. I wish I had time to read this or watch this. And so I really have become more of a student during this period. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's, uh, 
been incredibly challenging, I think, for those that were just about to launch into this industry. And I feel so bad for them uh, to like put myself in their shoes. But at the same time, as you guys know, you really need to diversify yourself if you're Mm -hmm. looking to move into this industry as a performer. So if you took this time to look at music editing or video editing or mm-hmm. whatever whatever skills are within this industry that you can do on the side as you're trying to move ter- toward performance. I think this was a good time to be able to build that. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, for our listeners, so we can get to know you, um, can you tell us where you're from and just briefly describe like your dance background and how it kind of flourished into who you are today? Oh, goodness. Um, I was born in Georgia, raised in Florida, Um, which was definitely a good place to grow up if you wanted to move into dance. There was a lot of industrial work. So by the time I was 15, I started doing some professional work, Um, went to a competitive studio, which I think there's benefit to that as much as sometimes it can be slightly traumatizing. (laughs) It, It builds you to be able to go into an audition and be put in those high stress situations and know how to navigate them. So Um, I had a lot of tough love teachers too, that I'm grateful for now. Uh, They gave me a lot of skill to be able to deal with the pressures and and anxieties. But um, yeah, I started in convention and industrial work around the age of 15. And then I moved to Los Angeles when I was 17 after I graduated high school. Yeah. And I did Tremaine scholarship when that still existed. I did college online and traveled with Tremaine on the weekends as their dancer of the year. So it was a lot at that point in my life. And I, I learned a ton. And then from there, I just kind of went wherever the work, work took me. And I was really lucky that I was able to keep consistent work until the point at which I felt I was ready to transition onto the other side of things. So um, again, it's preparedness and timing and all of those things together. And, and I feel very fortunate to have been able to consistently perform throughout my career. Where in Georgia were you born? I was born in Snellville. Okay. You my know mom, that town? I, d- my, I don't. My mom probably does. My mom okay. was born in Savannah. Okay. Um, yeah. I was only there till I was three, so I'm not okay. really familiar with the area, but my brother was born in Marietta and I was born in Snellville, so... That's amazing. Also, if I forget, I'm pretty sure my mom was born in Savannah. She listens to this podcast diligently. So mom, I'm sorry if I, if I totally messed that up. <laughs> um, wait, moved to Los Angeles at 17. Yeah. How, what was that like? I mean, it was great that you were doing college online, but that mm-hmm. must have been such a culture shock. It was. And I grew up with two parents that were in the entertainment industry. So that was a blessing They really prepared me from a young age. And I was a very like nose to the grindstone person. So in some ways there was a lot of naivete surrounding me. Like I was just going because this is what I knew I wanted. And I didn't realize all the implications that would come along with it. But, um, I don't think I really recognized how much of a leap that was until after, of course, hindsight's 2020. And, um, it was a challenge. I'm not going to deny there were some paths that I ended up taking that I wouldn't take now with more knowledge, but ultimately those things shape you and, and I'm grateful for all the learnings that came from it, but it was a lot. That's amazing. Well, um, how did you know, at what point did you know you wanted to make a career out of it? Like even after moving to Los Angeles at 17, how did you really find that commitment? Cause starting so young, a lot of times we kind of get out of it where we're like around 21, 23, where we're like, 
okay, I don't think I'm going to commit to this anymore. So how did you know, okay, I'm going full force with this, even after being in LA so young? Yeah. Um, I, again, I'm, I'm so grateful to my parents. They're, their skill in parenting now, I'm, I have no idea how they did it, but there was a period when I was maybe 11 where I, sorry, my cat's completely in my face. Um, <laughs> cat cameo. <laughs> we love cats. So it's good. Yeah. I know. Yeah. They're very yeah. on brand with inside dance. <laughs> the Zoom, always. Um, yeah. There was a period where out of nowhere, I decided I wanted to play soccer and I no longer wanted to fulfill my commitment to dance. And I had started in the company already and they said, okay, well, that's fine. If that's the decision you want to make, but you've already made this commitment for the year. So you need to fill it. And at the end of the year, if this is still what you want, then we will do so. And of course, you know, I'm a child and it's impulsive. And so by the end of the year, I was like, no, I want to still dance. So again, those parenting tactics that they took, it, they really showed me to honor commitments and it allowed me to not just jump off of what I had found this love I, to just jump impulsively to something new, made me stick with it. And, and for whatever reason, it's just, it continued to build. And again, I don't feel like anything, any of my decisions is I get asked these questions often, like, when did you know, and how did you make this transition? I feel like I just kept moving forward. And my goal is just always to learn something new. It's not tactical and as much as maybe there's something latently within me that makes these decisions and thinks, oh, I'm going to move to this because that's going to lead to that outwardly or just at the forefront of my mind. I don't, I don't feel that. I'm just going to try to learn something new every time. And, and thankfully it's taken me on a nice path. So that's so true because sometimes when you plan things, especially in the entertainment industry, like everybody laughs at you. Like nothing good. goes to plan. Nothing ever. goes to plan. So moving <laughs> well, if forward, didn't tell us that. I mean, we're so out of control, and we have to relinquish right. that control. And well, and that's something we touch on so frequently throughout this podcast. Is exactly that how things are out of control it's so rarely your talent or something personable as much as it is your height your hair color your size what size is the costume right and so to even think um you know like when you're in kindergarten it's like what do you want to be when i grow up a dancer like you think about that in such like a abc linear format but it's it's crazy how it is so unpredictable, both good and bad, right? Because we end up in places we never thought we would be and learn new skills that we never thought we would. But yeah, I commend you so much on taking that approach to it of, of just learning from every opportunity, um, whether it's dance or not, you know? So um, right. kudos to you. And um, oh, well, I think that's- again, I don't know how many kudos I, I should receive <laughs> because it's definitely unconscious, but it's, it's my reflection upon the whole thing. I think I just went forth with the goal to learn. And like you said, Taylor, it's, it's not just what I learned in dance. It's what I learned in life because they're so very parallel. And now my cat's eating my arm, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, to me, dance and life are, are one and the same. And so true. very thankfully it's, it's, it is my life. It's what I've been able to make. Uh, I've been able to sustain myself financially. And I'm grateful for that. But, um, everything that I learned in my day to day is carried over into my career as well. Absolutely. So good. Such good advice. Well, I want to hop in to know a little bit more about 
professional Katie. Um, I know you are. When I first met you, I was in a contemporary class in Las Vegas. And then um, I got to know you through Alex and everyone in the Cirque bubble. Um, I know you've had an amazing performing career, which then later transitioned into a creative career, which I definitely want to dive into. But kind of fill us in a little bit. Um, what was your professional experience after moving to L.A.? Kind of um, some of your favorite gigs, favorite jobs, um, how you landed in Vegas. Fill us in there. Well, again, I after LA, I kind of moved around wherever work took me. I ended up in Vegas in 2005 doing a smaller show that I that honestly was probably one of my favorite experiences. I think, again, in our our retrospect view, we see that sometimes the smaller, more boutique type shows are the things where we got the most fulfillment. And the larger they get, the more complicated they can become. So. Um, this show I did, I met some of my greatest friends of life that have carried over into now. And so I did that for about two and a half years. And after that, I moved to Bette Midler show. I did that for two and a half years. And that was the last performance job that I did before I moved over to Cirque. So, yeah. Wow. I, that's incredible. <laughs> I think you and I have briefly talked about this, but, um, so after Bette Midler, which I'm sure was amazing, was it? Yeah, hold on. I'm going yeah, to hold the phone there. <laughs> Let's talk about Bette Midler because yeah. I know, I know, um, obviously we all know Bette Midler, um, just an amazing talent performer, singer. I know the cast of dancers that, that you guys were, and I know the caliber at which you performed with. So how was that performing with such an iconic, um, performer and like just vocal goddess. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, she is an all around performer in every way. I was such a fan beaches and the rose and seeing all of her, her live performances as well. So it was definitely one of those jobs where I remember when I got the call, how I felt like it, that was one of those moments for sure. Like those, those pinch me moments. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the process was, crazy. I mean, the show itself was crazy. There was this cast of really incredible dancers, very different skill sets brought together, which in looking at us initially, you'd be like, why would we have paired these people together as a cast of quote unquote showgirls where you're trying to have, you know, a very unison look. And we were all so incredibly different, but it really, I think, benefited us in the long run. I think Tony had a a grander view than we did Tony and, and Tony Basil and, mm -hmm. um, and that, but there was one day in rehearsal where they brought in the motorized wheelchairs and we had to learn how to ride our motor oh our, our wheelchairs around the town stage. <laughs> we're like driving in figure eights. And I'm like, there are these insanely skilled dancers and we're driving wheelchairs. <laughs> this is the precursor to hoverboards, which I feel like anyone that's done a gig between the years 2016 oh. and 2020, <laughs> you have learned how to, or in my case, fallen off of a hoverboard. <laughs> of course, of course. But yeah, I mean, that had her character, Dolores Delago, close to Chicago and we're these mermaids. And uh -huh. so, I mean, never in my life did you think you would do that, but isn't that what the dance world is like it's like exactly. never in my life did I think that I would be doing what I'm doing right now absolutely so, yeah okay so sorry Alex continuing with your thought um I post I wanna, Bette Midler you post Bed Midler I want to know um what like that feeling of okay I am done performing because that's a big that's a big mm. deal to kind of say okay I'm done with this and I'm moving on to this next chapter was it very clear for you or was it back into that I'm just moving forward and I'm mm. I'm going with my knowledge that I have yeah, I am, I am very blessed in the fact that I find just as much fulfillment from 
what you get in putting a show together than being on stage itself. There's a lot of people that really struggle with that. Um, so I, I can't speak to that necessarily, but for myself, while I was at BET, we were splitting with Cher. So we had a lot of downtime and I was working with production companies doing choreography for industrials and doing a lot of teaching. And I knew that I wanted to ultimately move into that. So it wasn't something like I finished BET and okay, now I want to do this. I was already building that skill for quite some time for the whole two and a half years of that contract. So it was a, it wasn't necessarily a simple transition, but I already had those skills and a position opened at Cirque and I interviewed for quite a period, you know, Cirque is pretty thorough in their interview processes. And so it was about three months of interviewing before I took that position, but there was a lot of timing at hand. And again, this naive, just directional sense of mine that I was like, okay, I'm just moving forward. I'm learning these things. I know I might want to do this and Oh, this position's opened. Okay, great. Here we go. And so again, I can't take full credit for any of these things. I feel like I learned what I could and gratefully, Oh, my Alex is telling me it's time for lunch. (laughs) I love that so much. She just guides me. (laughs) Um, But you know, I, I, I learned what I could and I was prepared as I could be and gratefully there was a position that opened at that time and I moved into it. So I, I was blessed in that way. For sure. We haven't talked about this on the podcast yet, but I'm just going to talk you up a little bit working with Katie, everybody. So when you work uh, at a Cirque show, like no matter what, it's very in depth with the storytelling and everything is really detailed, but now you've added the Beatles music and like their anthology into the whole show. So every single lyric, every single costume piece and prop is so vital to the show. And Katie knew every single lyric of every single song. You were never learning the choreography being like, why are we doing this? Like you knew ex- she knew exactly what purpose each thing served. And so it like, it was just such a blessing to have you integrate us. I know that was a crazy time because we were going through refresh. So we were learning old mm-hmm. choreography and new choreography. And this is my, that was my first professional job. Like I, I'm fresh out of college. Like I'm still, I was like going through such a different time in my life too. So like you just, you know, like everything, you know, everything about all the details so that you're able to bring that to that other side of the table, which is so difficult. And like you said, it's a blessing that that cut like that feels natural to you. And for a lot of people like myself, that does not come naturally working on the other side of things. So like, I commend you on that. Like, it's amazing. That's very kind of you to say. And I wouldn't say that that doesn't come natural to you. I've witnessed you in your performance and I think that it will continue to evolve. See Taylor's giving thumbs ups as as well. But, um, I, I have to say what kept me going at CERT for so long, because I was there for seven plus years, like it was the longest I had ever been in any entertainment position. But what kept me there is that storyline is that research of why are we doing what we're doing and why are they standing in this positioning on the stage? And why is it at this lyric in the song? Because as much as when you watch a Cirque show, it's very ambiguous and no one really understands what's going on. There is a very deep storyline to it. And that's really only for the performer to know or for the, the creative team to instill in their performers so that they have a motivation behind what they're doing. And so I thought that was probably one of the most important things that I could give to you guys. Cause when you're doing your 10th show of the week and you're exhausted, you 
and your physical body isn't going to give you everything that you need. You need to have something else to back up on. Okay. I'm here because of this. And this is the story I need to tell. So I think honestly, like storytelling could be the through line of why I have chosen to do what I do, whether it's me having the voice quote unquote on stage or having the voice off stage and giving it, giving it to you little young bucks now to be able to perform, you know, it's all about storytelling. And that's why, again, I talk about life and dance being so parallel because now I've created this speaking series that I do when I teach on convention called human movement, because the stories that we tell ourselves, the story that we tell each other, our peers in class, the stories that we tell our audience, they're all so very intertwined as to how we just live our lives as human beings. And so, yeah, I guess that's, again, I see everything in hindsight, but even in saying that to you now, I realize that it is so very much about storytelling. What's the story? Why are we here? Why are we telling the story to other people and to ourselves every day? You know? Absolutely. We always talk about intention um, when it comes to movement, when it comes to choreography and how um, on in your ex- uh, in your example, a much bigger scale, a show, a, a production, what is your intention? And then stemming the movement from that, um, which right. I feel like is a very, um, you know, that's kind of the advice I wish I could give to my younger self as we're talking in retrospect is I always wanted to get to the destination. But yeah. once I learned how to bridge the gap of why are we getting there? And can you explain that? like not so much the what, but the why in dance, not in dance has been really revolutionary for me. And so I'm so glad to hear that that's been um, a similar through line for you, but I want to continue on that through line um, intention, telling the story, creating these productions. So now um, you've transitioned, you've been a part of the Jennifer Lopez production team for the past few years, which I'm still like such a huge fan. Um, I saw her uh, Vegas residency show a handful of times and, um, I just marvel at the dancers, at the choreography, at the all the production value that go, that gets involved with that. So let's talk about that. How is that going from, not to say that uh, Cirque production is a small scale, but we're talking Super Bowl status. How is that transition? And, and also a one-time, per, like usually yeah. a time, one-time performance and even a residency is a lot less performances than 10 shows a week. So that too, like everything relying on, on yeah. short uh, performances. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I met Tabitha and Napoleon when we were doing refresh. Well, I had met them a couple of years prior when we did America's Got Talent with Love. And then when they came on to do refresh, we worked very closely and they were like, Hey, do you want to come and work with us? And I thought it over for a good year before I left just because everything was quite comfortable at Cirque. And, and when I realized, okay, you have kind of reached a point where it's time for something new to be able to give yourself some new knowledge, chew on new things. So I was like, okay, it's time. So I took that leap. And I think probably the most difficult part of it all that realizing we have such a a advantage with at Cirque is we would have a a meeting every week with the whole creative team. And we'd sit down face to face and discuss, okay, these are the things that we need to work on. How can we change this? And you get time with one another where on shows that I'm doing now with nappy tabs and Jen or whoever else we're working with at the time, it's a brand new team and you are communicating via email and you have this, like no amount of time to get it done, but you have to, you have to achieve and you're working with people that have very high standards. And so it's a much more high pressure situation I find 
Um, but in different ways, Cirque had a different level of, of pressure, the pressures that came from the amount of danger that the artists were put in each day and having a certain responsibility toward that. That was a lot. But um, again, I've, I've felt that I've been able to build different muscles than I had in a residency like Cirque was. Um, we're jumping all over the place all the time. Super Bowl, as you said, that was one of the most difficult jobs that we we did, um, but again, learned so, so much from it. And we feel in some ways, it's, it's interesting, the metaphor of it all. We kind of shut down the world in a way when the Super Bowl happened, everything stopped. And we just recently, which is airing tomorrow, um, we did something called Global Citizen Vax Live with Jen and very similar stage setup on a football field at SoFi Stadium or Sophie stadium. I believe that's how it's pronounced. And, um, so we had this very reminiscent feel of like, okay, now we're going to reopen things because we're celebrating accessibility to the vaccinations and we want to get entertainment moving again. And so it was really quite a beautiful thing to like feel that we had shut down the world with super bowl and now we're going to just reopen and move forward again. So yeah, it's, um, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to work with a team like Nappy Tabs because they're some of the most generous, kind people. And that's really what I want to do most is just work with creatives that are appreciative of their teams and really try to build everyone around them up. That's who they are. And so I'm blessed to be where I am with them. Full circle with yeah. that, with the Super Bowl and, and the slide. That is so amazing. And I mean... It's just got to be so uh, difficult because I know in other gigs that I've done, a lot of times you don't even know how it's going to go until you're on set. So it has to be so hard with planning all of those dancers. You can rehearse over and over, but you do not know until you're stepping into the stadium and then you have a whole new set of problems. So goodness. Well, I mean, for example, Super Bowl, the variables that you could never have even imagined because we were in Miami at the Hard Rock Stadium and it's a grass field and so they had done the renders for the stage and we knew the weights of B stages that had lifts in them and such but we couldn't really tell what the depression on the field would be until we actually got the set out and we didn't get to bring the the stage out until four days prior and they had installed a laser system to see how much depression would be put in the field because you know the reason you're there is the football game, even though for us, we're, we're there for the halftime. <laughs> Debatable. I don't know about that part, but sure. Let's I'm, go with I'm this whole sports thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, but if we created too much of a depression in the stage, we were going to have to cut that whole side of the stage. So we had to have backup of, okay, the whole, as you saw, she started on the Empire State Building, quote unquote, on the B stage. And then all the dancers are on that, that whole runway we had to have a different version that if we had to cut that portion of the stage, they started on the main stage area and we wouldn't know that until three days prior. And so all these variables that when you're watching the show, you would never know any of that was going down, but it's just, it's so, so much to manage and it takes a massive village to get it done. And, uh, so what you're telling me is there's a secret director's cut of the Super Bowl performance somewhere in the universe that we may. <laughs> There's many, many, many versions. I mean, you go through umpteen versions of things and, and we work with a great team there, a great director who was very patient with us and come to many of our rehearsals. And we, 
we did all of our uh, camera block rehearsals and we would look at different line cuts and we would adjust what, okay, we're going to have this shot happen here and this shot happen here. And the poor team is just probably so over us by the end of the day. They're like, okay, enough notes, but, but everybody comes together to make it what it is. It's not one person. No one can take full credit for any of those things because man, it's, it's teams and teams and teams of people. I have to ask how, I mean, it's different, I'm sure, for like a resident show, but like for those productions where you have different casts, you have different, you have dancers, acrobats, pole artists, you have so many moving parts. How do you manage that many performers um, and, and pull it off in what, from our eyes, comes off to be so smooth, like from a managerial standpoint? 24 mm, seven, that's all I can say. Um, there's just no sleep. And, um, I, one of my best friends, we were able to bring on to be one of our pole artists, my friend, Sheila, uh, Burford. I don't know if you guys know her, but love uh, Sheila. love Sheila. yeah, yeah. She's amazing. And she was able to come on and she actually stayed with me during, during the project and poor baby kind of saw that side of it, of me coming home at like the umpteenth hour and staying up and working on new things and communicating this to the wardrobe department, commuting this to lighting, you know, just it, it's endless. There's really no simple answer. It's just, you're working your booty off. So I think I was a narcolept for three weeks after it was over. <laughs> I believe it. So <laughs> I remember when we worked, um, on dancing with the stars together back in, <laughs> oh my God. 2015. And like, I remember cause Tamar Braxton, who was dancing in our piece, she got sick. And at the live show, she was coming in like in an ambulance and I'm like so you're saying that was no stress in comparison <laughs> to Super Bowl I remember being like I can't believe like we're gonna go on stage and like she's gonna be here last minute like this is so oh my gosh like show business this is crazy and yeah. you were yeah. so calm you were so calm <laughs> oh well I mean honestly I feel like that's what the majority of the gig is and I, I've said this before when people ask the question so much of what we do is not necessarily creative. And you have to know that going in, when you go to move on to the other side of things, it's very managerial. It's very, a lot of it's administrative, it's communication, it's relationships. Logistic, I'm sure. Logistical things. And then you get to do some of the creative stuff and then you go back to logistics because it, it takes a lot to put together a production like that. Wow. Well, I mean, it, pays off. I'm, I'm going to speak for anyone that has ever seen any of the performances that you've been involved with. They are top-notch, jaw-dropping, incredible. So bravo to you. Bravo to the entire Nappy Tabs team. Um, so we've talked about the successes. We've talked about all this hard work paying off. Hopefully you work hard, you play hard. Let's talk about Katie Tate's funniest, most embarrassing, like just like makes you laugh at yourself moment, whether that be um, as a dancer, as a creative, as a director, let's, let's dive into that one. I mean, honestly, Yonk knows I don't take myself very seriously and I try to laugh at myself as much as possible, but um, I don't know what is one of the funniest moments. I mean, uh, there's I, so many I'll, I just remember during refresh. I, mean, I love when long, other people chime in <laughs> yeah. for your embarrassment. This was your most embarrassing moment. And here we go. <laughs> it's, it's not a specific story, but I remember because there was so much footage being filmed for refresh and 
like I said, Katie knew every lyric to every song. So she would, you would always be on the mic and you'd be like, (laughs) we'd obviously not be singing, but you'd be like saying the lyrics. You'd be like, and the benefit of Mr. Kite. Boom. <laughs> like, I remember there was so much footage of that. And it, I know. And so Gianni happy. made like an album cover of Katie Tate's version of love. Yeah. I mean, it was embarrassing for sure. But yeah. I have if that's like, the most embarrassing though, I, I would mean, say yeah, you, 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 you have a rock star career, man. No, no, no. I, I have so many embarrassing moments, but I try to kind of forget them after they happen. <laughs> That's, that's amazing. Well, yeah, you're doing great. Well, if you can, um, just to finish this off, who or what are your biggest inspirations right now that is kind of um, allowing you to keep moving forward? Um, I feel like this is going to be a very like metaphysical answer, but um, of course you have the people that inspire you on the daily. My parents will always be a staple Um, some of my formative dance teachers, always a staple, but I think right now, if you're speaking right now, it's any person that has a certain level of humility and is an incredible, incredibly hard worker and an innovator, anyone that I come across. Cause again, like I said, we enter into very different teams. Um, I just wrapped a show a couple months ago that just aired last night, a legendary on HBO max. And that's a very different group of people a very different culture of people than what I would work with on a gen job. And so I'm inspired by the different ways in which people view the world. And um, honestly, too, I'm very connected with nature as well, especially during COVID. We were able to kind of reconnect with our earth. And I feel like I gain a lot of inspiration from that. If I'm choreographing many times, I just go for a walk around my neighborhood and I just want to be out in the world and like, kind of close my eyes and listen to music and feel inspired. Um, so I can't say that it's any one specific person or any one specific thing. I think you can find inspiration in everything that's around you as long as you're open to it and you're curious to it. I love that. It's, it's so, so true and hits home for me in that I always, um, when I think about being inspired, it's just the idea of knowing that it's okay to allow, or you're going to allow inspiration in, in whatever form that may be. And you, you run into those walls when you get to that point and you, and you just kind of get frustrated in the lack of inspiration, but it's the constant search that I think um, is pivotal for anyone, any, I mean, any human, but any creative, any dancer, any performer, just being open to the inspirations that may not be so quote unquote literal around you. Right. So I love that answer. Mm. So thank you, Katie. Yeah, but, of course. I, um, I, one other thing I have to say with that is as we progress in our careers, sometimes we can think that we have learned all there is to learn. But honestly, I think you, for myself, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. And so I want to become more and more humble as life progresses and see that there is so much for me to learn from everything that surrounds me. And at the same time, I'm teaching so much to people that surround. I'm teaching people how to treat me by how I treat them. And it's just a cyclical energy that's being given back and forth. And so that allows for inspiration. We can cut off our supply to inspiration if we lose that humility. My gosh, that's so true. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Well, we cannot thank you enough for taking the time to do this. Like we really appreciate it. And it's been so nice. I'm, I'm, I love it. Thank you guys so much. I'm so proud of you both for 
taking on something new during this, this time where we've all had to slow down and taking some initiative to you're able to share your experiences and the experiences of the people that you've been surrounded by with the whole dance community. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So thanks for having me be part. Of course. And thank you for being an integral part of that. Um, For our listeners, if they want to keep up with you, where can they find you, whether social media or uh, in real life, in a dance, (laughs) a dance class, excuse me. In real life. Um, uh, I'm on Instagram. Katie T eight, I think is my handle. Um, I'm not very good with all of that. (laughs) But um, when we, I don't teach regularly in Los Angeles and I don't teach regularly in Vegas anymore, but um, I usually post on my Facebook or my Instagram when I am. And then I teach on a couple different dance conventions, but usually I'll post everything on my Instagram whenever it's coming up. You guys definitely have to give her a follow. Her choreography is absolutely amazing. And uh, Katie also has just this way of pulling things out of dancers. Like whenever I take your Mm. class, you're one of the few teachers who can like really pull it out of me. Like you are really intentional with all of your students. So um, whenever she is teaching, you guys have to go take, cause it's get really in that class. Experience. You will not yeah. regret it. Yeah. I love having you both in my class. We need to do it again soon. For Let's sure. do it. I'm holding <laughs> us to that. But until then, Katie, this has been so incredible. Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, and yeah, let's manifest that we can all be together soon. But until let's then, stay well, keep dancing, and we look forward to seeing what the world has next for Katie Tate. Yes, thank you both. Mwah. Thank you. Lots of love. Mwah.